Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. We are thrilled that Moleskin is partnering with us again on another one of our Zivi Books titles. Hell, if we don't change our ways, you can get 15% off paper and bags with free personalization with the purchase of a notebook. The code is ZIBBY, all caps, Z-I-B-B-Y. The notebooks, we're doing some custom notebooks for some of our books, which are absolutely gorgeous. You should definitely get a new Moleskin journal. You can personalize them for your kids or your spouse, give them as gifts, and just go check them out. Check out their website, moleskin.com. And again, you can get 15% off everything paper-related and bags and get some free personalization while you're at it. Again, that's code Zibby, moleskin.com. Thank you to Moleskin. If you're anything like me, then you'll know that a great book can really transport you. 
and so can a great fragrance. That's why I just can't get enough of these gorgeous scented bookmarks from Poet. They smell amazing, they look gorgeous, and they're a different take on a bookmark which hasn't been, you know, improved on or innovated in a long time, and now Poet has done it. So you can get these beautiful scented bookmarks and a special offer at poet.com slash Zibby. That's P-O-E-T-E dot com slash Zibby. Made in Grasse, France. Each bookmark is infused with one of Poet's fine French fragrances. So you can save your place while you savor the scent. That's P-O-E-T-E dot com slash Zibby. Emma Gray is the author of The Last Love Note, a novel. I am so excited to be bringing this novel to all of you because I am 100% absolutely obsessed with it. Emma's book was pitched for this podcast, and I loved it so much. She's an Australian author that I asked if the rights were available, and they were. And so at Zivi Books, we acquired the rights, and now we are the U.S. publisher for The Last Love Note, which is already a book of the month club pick. For November, it's an indie next pick for December, which means all the independent bookstore readers loved it so much they nominated it to appear on this heralded list. And we have so much more fun news coming, so keep your eyes peeled. Emma is an acclaimed Australian journalist and young adult fiction writer. Her writing has appeared in The Age, Canberra Times, and Herald Sun. The Last Love Note is her debut adult novel. She lives in Canberra, Australia with her family. And just so you know, this novel came out of, well, I guess she'll talk about it, but it came out of her own loss of her husband, Jeff, who had a heart attack and died suddenly, uh, leaving her with three children. And it's funny and amazing and sad, and readers are going nuts over this book and over Emma. So check it out and enjoy. Welcome, Emma. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss the last love note, your novel from Zibby Books. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's lovely to see you, Zibby. As you know, I'm just obsessed with your book from the moment I read it. It's so great. I'm so excited for it to be released into the world. Tell listeners who don't know about it yet the whole story, what the book is about and your personal connection to the story and and on and all of that. What made you write it? How did we get here? Dazzle everyone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, sadly, the, the book had um, a genesis in my own personal loss and my husband, Jeff, passed away in 2016. He had a heart attack. And I remember as an author and a writer thinking the only way through this loss is going to be through words. And I started to write little pieces of articles and memoir sort of pieces about our loss and and focused on that at first. And I remember thinking, I just need more words. I can't express everything that I'm going through in a 600-piece or an 800-piece article. And I also felt like it was a little bit too close when I was writing about our own personal story. So I decided that I might attempt some fiction about grief. And somehow this novel turned into a bit of a romantic comedy. I think because my my background is just as such a romantic ever since I fell for Anne of Green Gables and Gilbert back in the 80s. You know, I've just loved romance and found it it's so hopeful and uh, so joyous. And 
I didn't want to write a book that was going to be too devastating to read, although, as you know, it is it is very devastating in parts. So I wanted to capture that light and shade of, of loss because there is a lot of both when we lose someone and there's a real sense of of hope in this novel. So it's about a woman who is 38. Her name is Kate and it's a story of her processing her husband's death while she starts to fall for someone else. So there's uh, there's really two big love stories in one. And so much more. Motherhood, friendship, work, balance, juggling, just always feeling like you can't do enough, do it right. Like I feel like there was something just so imminently relatable about every piece of this book that anyone in today's crazy world with multiple obligations will be able to find themselves in. Yes. Well, I think that's the case, isn't it? Whenever we go through something traumatic or or profound like this, we can't just switch off all that other stuff. We have to juggle it with my dog, for example, who is running around with a toy in his mouth crying as we record this call. <laughs> with, my, with kids and with schooling and homework and, and washing and cooking and in my case as well, the pressures of having of being in that sandwich generation where I have elder or had elderly parents. My mum passed away a couple of months ago from dementia at 91. So there was all of that going on. You know, in her case, she kept asking where my husband was and we had to keep telling her over again that he had died. And so that was the kind of chaos that I think is real and honest and raw. And I think it's important to capture that in fiction just as much as it is to share it in, in, in interviews like this. Oh my gosh. And talk about a little bit parenting through grief. And I don't mean to only spotlight the grief. I want to like focus more on the humor as well, but just to start off in that, in that piece of it, because you had a young son in in the midst of it and your daughter and everything. Just talk about, you know, sort of what that was like for you and then how you wrote about, how you turned that into what happens to the characters. Hmm. I think when you lose a partner but you have children it's a lot of your grief tends to be focused on their grief i think as parents we we automatically prioritize our children and so really from that very first moment my first thought went to my 5 year old son at the time and i had two daughters from my i have two daughters from my first marriage who were a crucial parts of their education in in what we call year 12 in Australia, so the final year of high school and year 10, just facing exams and the sort of end of year formals like your proms and all of that sort of stuff. So it was an intense situation to find ourselves in very unexpectedly in this case. And I, I remember really sort of sidelining my own grief for some time. And it wasn't until about eight months after Jeff died that I was actually flown over to America for a conference in his honour. He was a military historian and the president of the Society for Military Historians there. And so they flew me over and I remember crying from Sydney to LA on the plane. I I still think of the poor 16-year-old boy that was sitting beside me, some strange kid who, who wound up with this woman who was just distraught. And it was because I was finally on my own away from my children and my own grief had time to surface and to breathe. And 
I really reached my very lowest point at that conference, having to go back to the hotel room at the end of the night after speaking about Jeff all day with his colleagues and friends. It was just very, very difficult, but beautiful as well that they were doing this. And then after that, I took myself to New York for three days and I'd never been. And uh, Jeff loved New York. It was his favourite city and had always intended to take me. So I went there and I remember that looking at the city and thinking, you know, this is a place that has experienced so much grief and yet look at it. It's thriving. It's it's dazzling and beautiful. And, and I remember sort of getting this first little hint of hope that perhaps there was a future for me as well. So as an aside, to be bringing this book back to you and, and, and you know, to have been uh, picked up by Zibi Books and published in New York is just sort of a dream come true and this beautiful full circle experience. But I wrote about the parenting in the book and about the fact that um, my character then ends up sort of stranded with her her boss in a beautiful, gorgeous Australian sort of beach hamlet north of Byron Bay, which is where all the Hollywood stars come and, and purchase their Australian properties. But she winds up there and it's again the same experience where her grief finally finds air. And it's really such a crucial part of being able to process that when you're when you're a parent and you've lost someone. Oh, I'm so sorry. And you had a full circle moment in particular at the New York Public Library that I loved hearing about. And so I'm very excited to bring you back there. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. So when I was in New York, having started to experience experience these feelings of hope, I thought, you know, I really need to start writing a book about grief. And that was the moment. And I thought I'll take myself to the reading room at the New York Public Library and just get some words down, not, not really even knowing at that point the direction the book would take. And I managed to work those very words into the book as if they were written by my character, Kate. Um, so that feels really special and I can't wait to visit again. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Well, we were we were meant to find each other, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the humor, but I also I've we've spent a lot of time even over the months that we've known each other talking about your loss of Jeff, but not as much about the discovery of Jeff and how you fell in love with him. Can you just talk about that for a little bit? Sure. I think one of the things that I noticed first about him, you know how they say that you can tell a lot about people by how they treat people serving in restaurants and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. It was it was the way that his students and colleagues um, held him in such high esteem. It was the fact that he was being invited to his students' weddings and the christenings of their children and that sort of that sort of event. And I thought, you know, there's something about a person that is held in high esteem by all the people around them in their network. And it was something that he did that I noticed right until the very last week of his life when, for example, my parents who were well into their late 80s at this point, mum with advanced dementia, Jeff would do all the cooking in our family. That was one of the, the big losses that we felt, actually, that he was no longer be cooking beautiful meals for us. But he would always make enough for my parents. And so even on the Sunday before he died, I carried around a, a you know a, a Tupperware container filled with um, a casserole and and something that you know my dad loved and he was looking after them right until the very end. So that was the kind of person that he was. And I think that sort of love is what is behind this story. And I found it so difficult to express the way I felt in in just a love story about one person. So I feel like there's these two heroes in the book, and they're both a bit of a combination. 
about what he was like. So you sat in the library and you were like, I'm going to write my way through grief. And yet this is a complicated story with character, not complicated in a bad way. I mean, it's a in-depth, fully formed, multi-character thing, right? How did you know how to, I mean, I know you're a, a huge YA, you know, author, but how did you know how to take this concept and just like, and turn it into an actual story? Like how did, when did you figure out character and plot and all of the elements to make it into an actual novel? Well, I just figured that out as I went along because I never plot my novels. I just sit down with a very high level concept. This woman has lost her her husband and she's going to fall in love again. And I just start writing with no idea about any of those things. And it's almost like the the action unfolds on a, a movie screen in front of me and I'm just scrambling to try to get it down on the page. And I know a lot of writers have that experience and it's exciting and you, you're sort of discovering it and wanting to race to the end and find out what happens. You know, I'll do things. There's a secret that exists between Kate's husband and her new love interest and I sort of planted that early on in the book and said there was this big secret, but I had no idea what it was at the time and I just couldn't wait to find out myself and really didn't figure it out until almost she figured it out quite a long way into the writing process. And then, of course, you do go back after you've done that first draft and think, right, well, what do we need to now sort of feed in and seed in earlier on? And and so you go back and, and a lot of the writing is in the rewriting and the editing. And really that first draft I sort of threw together in a very short space of time, mainly at sort of two o'clock in the morning, just because, the, you know, I had children and I was sort of squeezing it in at odd hours of the day. Um, but then the rewriting process took much longer. And what was it like working with different editors for your Australia, UK, you know, all of that edition versus then having to, you know, touch it again with us? It's, you know, it was such, I'm, I just feel so privileged with with the editors I've had here and and with you. It's been such a beautiful sort of collaborative experience. I think to me, I feel as though I get to a point with a book where I've gone as far as I can possibly go on my own and I need professional help at that point from editors who come in there with a different different viewpoint. And I was really appreciative that you have accepted this Australian set story and kept it in Australia because really the story of grief could have been transplanted and put anywhere in the world. And it means a lot to me that I've written about my hometown of Canberra and my, you know, a place near where I grew up at Christmas holidays, having having these gorgeous beach experiences. And, it, you know, I think it'll be something that I hope American readers are going to to love exploring. They will, for sure. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Also, as you're talking, I'm like, I have to, I've never been to Australia and I'm dying to go. And so I'm yes, going to must. figure out, we'll have to do like some sort of last love note trip, you know, for anyone who's never been to Australia, I don't know, like a mini retreat or something. I did have one more question related to grief with children and all of that. There was a, a mom who, who passed away suddenly at my kid's school. I don't know the family at all, but obviously, you know, they're in the community. And I sent a, a, a note to the husband on email from the directory just to say, you know, my thoughts are with you, blah, blah, blah. But is there anything, anything other people can do when they know of someone, either someone close to them or someone they know who has lost a parent, who has kids? Like, what, what is your advice to people who, who can be of service but don't quite know how? You know, it's interesting because I, I was very privileged in that I had a huge community of support behind, rally behind us when it happened. And when I look back on it, everyone contributed something that is from their own area of specialty. And, and so if they're good cooks, they would cook lasagnas and, and other dishes for us. I had one woman who saw me post something on Facebook where I said, I just, I, I hate admin. I'm drowning under all these forms that you've got to fill out when somebody dies. And she had a business where she called herself Admin Bandit. And it was where she would go and help people with their admin. And she said, look, I'll come and sit with you while you fill out these forms and help you organize it all. And as we went through, there was there was something for everyone. And it was, it, and the other important thing I would say is that there's a lot of support at the very beginning. And then that support, tends to drop off as as it must because everyone has to go back to their their lives. So if you can't see something sort of right at the start when this happens to someone, bear in mind that they still need help a year later or two years later and that you you will always have an opportunity to contribute. The other thing too is not to wait for people to ask for the help. And so we often say, look, let me know if I can do anything. But it's hard to ask for that help a lot of the time. So to just sort of do things proactively that can help them. And then I would say too that people are worried about sort of tiptoeing around and not talking about the person who died. And I think that they're kind of worried they'll remind you and <laughs> it's on your mind constantly. You can't be reminded of something that you're already thinking about. Most people that I've met that have had these big losses love to talk about their loved one and to to keep them alive in that way and to hear stories about them. And particularly when you've lost somebody, when they have young children, it's so important to capture those stories so that when the children grow up, they have, you know, this secondary source sort of library of remembering from other people because they didn't have a chance to form enough of their own memories. Wow. I love that. You do such a great job also with these hilarious situations where in this sort of Bridget Jones-esque tone, you're, you're just really rooting for Kate to get through 
anything. And you're just so funny. I mean, even the dialogue, all of it, it's hilarious. What are the tricks to pulling off great humor writing? And how did you always write like this? And where did this voice sort of come from? Or is it just totally natural to you? You know, I'm I'm pretty sure that voice came from my mum because after she died, we found a whole lot of letters that she'd written home to her parents when we were kids and they were absolutely hilarious. Just her, her observation of the ordinary and the, the sense of the ridiculous. I think there's so much, there's just so much content in all of our lives and a lot of the things that happen that at the time might feel sort of like, you know, you're having a bad day are actually really quite, quite funny if you can just sort of put that slant on it. And you do that brilliantly yourself. I see it all the time on social media and your, you know, videos. It's hilarious. So I think it's about paying attention. But it's also, I mean, you know, one of the classic stories from my book was it was that scene where the, the five-year-old walks out and says, why did daddy have a grenade in his study? And that was entirely based on what happened in our house because it <laughs> was a military historian. He had a grenade. Seb walked out with it when he was five. And almost everything that I wrote there was actually real, unfortunately, without the hot neighbour and, you know, <laughs> gorgeous boss. But, you know, the rest of it was pretty much accurate. And so I would just say to pay attention because there's just so much in, in everyday life that can make us laugh if we're looking for it. So true. I was just, uh, this morning I had this, MRI thing for my heart just to, as preventative. You know, there's this yes. scan you can get. And I went in and it was like, <laughs> you had to, there was this electronic voice and it was like, please hold your breath. And then they would say, and now release it. And I just, the whole time I was sitting there, I was like, what if the machine backfires and they forget to say that second half? And I was literally <laughs> like, I'm going to start laughing and now I'm going to have to redo this whole thing. But I was like, what if this room, just everybody just kept, keeps like, I, I don't know. Passing <laughs> out, exactly. I know, that's the sort of thing. It's, you know, it's part imagination and part just observation. Anyway, very funny. How did you originally get into writing? I started writing the day after I finished watching Anne of Green Gables in 1989. I can remember it to this day. We were at my grandmother's house. I remember watching this and really strongly identifying with the romance between Anne and Gilbert, but also the fact that Anne was a writer. And I thought, I feel like I'm a writer. And I went and bought a notebook and pen pre-computer days and started writing this novel. It was absolutely atrocious look, looking back, but I was 14, you know. And I just remember looking at my sister and thinking, why isn't she spending her summer holidays writing a novel? Maybe <laughs> that's what writing, being a writer is. It's, it's this compulsion to tell stories. Even when you have an idea in your head and what you're putting on the page is nowhere near as good as what you're hoping to achieve. And I think that's the key for writers to be able to push through that initial first draft and the mess of it all. But it's the storytelling. I think, you know, even as things are happening, and I bet this happens to you too, I'm often thinking, well, how am I going to express that on Facebook? Or we know what's going <laughs> how will I tell this story? And it's just a constant, I don't know, it's never not been there, I guess, right from the start. Yeah, almost narrating life as it happens. that. And then what was the story of your first book sale when you realized you'd be a, you know, you'd be a, a actually, I was going to say famous author, but of course that's, <laughs> that's not that's necessarily, that's <laughs> what we think maybe before our first book is published, but yes, yeah. before your first book was published, like, tell me that story of acquisition and what that experience was like and how you kept going and then sort of switching genres a little bit. Yes. 
The, the first book that I had published was in 2005 called Wits End Before Breakfast, Confessions of a Working Mum. And that actually came about because I used to write, like my mum writing the letters home, I used to write emails once a week to my friends and family just sort of with chaotic stories of what it was like to have little children and a job. And um, one day one of my friends overheard a stranger on the sidelines of a kid's soccer match relaying one of these stories. So obviously the emails have been sort of forwarded on and she said, just stop sending these emails and and bundle it all up and send it to a publisher, which is pretty much what I did. And so that book was published. And then the sec- the, then I, I moved a few years later into writing fiction and my young adult, my first young adult novel was called Unrequited. And I wrote this because my 14-year-old daughter um, at the time hated reading, but she loved Harry Styles. And so I thought, well, I just might start a little story about a girl and a boy band and show her that reading can be fun. And um, it got completely out of control and ended up in a two-book deal with HarperCollins. I just became obsessed with this story. And then my my own high school friend who was a composer in Sydney and has won multiple awards said, I'm desperate to write a musical based on that novel. So we've done that and performed it in a high school and, you know, we, we're constantly working on that show and developing it. And it's it's really my happy place. It's just, in fact, that got me through the year after Jeff died, that show. It was just magical and um, being surrounded by the exuberance of teenagers and romance and music and fun. It was just incredible. And then I moved into this adult debut, which feels very grown up in comparison with some of that, but I'm just loving writing for adults now. And I don't know, who knows what 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 I might morph into next. I seem to like to jump around, but I've also got a, a non-fiction title that I co-wrote with Audrey Thomas called I Don't Have Time, which is uh, another connection that you and I have. <laughs> It's all about, you know, productivity, but also things like, you know, being kind to yourself and embracing failure and having persistence and all of that sort of stuff. So, yes, we've got a few fingers in a few different pies, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And you have another novel coming out with us and, you know, simultaneously, hopefully simultaneously, but close in publishing date with your Australian release. Can you talk about that book? Yes, that one's called Pictures of You. There's a photography theme to this one because that's one of my my other passions. It's really a it's a romance, but there's a fair bit of psychological suspense as well. It starts with a woman who has uh, she has woken up in hospital and has misplaced half of her life. She's she's got a form of amnesia after being in a car accident that um, took her husband's life. And she can't remember anything about her husband or any of that period of her life. And as she's sitting in the funeral a few days later, she's she's looking at the slideshow that you tend to show at one of those services. And she's thinking, I not only don't recognize any of this, I don't even like what I'm seeing. I'm wondering how on earth I ended up here. <laughs> and she begins to have a panic attack. So she effectively sort of goes absent from her husband's funeral. She calls an Uber, races outside, jumps in the car and says, just drive, take me anywhere. And it turns out that she's jumped into the car of somebody who wasn't an Uber driver, a man who was standing outside the church trying to psych himself up to go in to the funeral and to sort of face his past. And now a part of his past is in the back seat of his car. So good. Oh, my gosh. 
Well, I have not read it yet and I'm dying to. So I'm very excited for this <laughs> to, to hurry up and get done so I can enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> I was working on it minutes before this call. So. Okay, good. You keep at it. I'll yeah. get off this podcast in a second. You can go back to it. What <laughs> advice do you have for aspiring authors? I think it's uh, similar to what I said before, which is just to push through that first draft, get through the mess of it and just remember that once you've got the words on the page, then the magic happens. It's so easy for us to give up while we're writing the first draft. And if you get to a point and you think, I don't know what to do this and I'm stuck, I'm just going to have to put it away. Just, you know, write something like insert a chapter later or fix this later and move on to something that you can do. Because the first draft, it feels like that for everyone, no matter how many books we've published, I think we all sort of go back and start again and think, I think I've forgotten how to write. And um, so just just push through and uh, you can do something with the first draft after that. Amazing. Well, I'm so excited. And by the way, I had shown a version of this cover for the last love note to old friends of mine, Sean and Juliana McBride. And they have like this amazing, I don't know, visual sense. And they were like, I think you should do this and this and da da da. Anyway, that's how we got to this final, <laughs> the final oh, tweets of this yeah, cover. So shout out to them. Thank you to Sean and Juliana. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Emma, I'm so, I'm so just proud to be the vehicle that gets this book into U.S. hands. I, I feel like this was meant to be. And everything that comes out of your mouth, I'm like, uh-huh. Yep. Yep. That's like, I don't know. You're like the Australian. If I were, I don't know, you know, like you meet these kindred spirits all over the world. And it's just so nice when you actually find them. And everybody yeah. has people like that all over. And it's just a question of like, oh my gosh, there's this person living here and here's what we have in common. And I don't know, it just makes the world feel much smaller. It does. It does. And I, you know, I'm so grateful to you and all of your team. It's just been an amazing experience working with you and I can't wait to come over there and go on tour. Yes. So fun. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Emma. Congratulations. Thanks, Zibby. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.